Some of you don't know the name George Verver, but uh, if, if we had five or six legends in the missions world today, it, George is one of them. He started uh, Operation Mobilization, this great ministry 50, 60 years ago. We partnered with Operation Mobilization for the Hospitality House with Don and Becky Donaldson in the Arabian Peninsula. Josh and Debs Walker and our church family have been with Operation Mobilization for years. In fact, Josh's dad, Mickey, has been with, uh, he and his wife have been with Operation Mobilization for 45 years. There are about 6,000 or so uh, workers with Operation Mobilization around the world. It's just an incredible ministry and organization. I feel a little bit like, you know, those uh, 20-year-olds who uh, are big sports fans and uh, J.J. Watts or somebody would walk into the room. That's the way I feel because... uh, we, we enjoy sports, but the real heroes of our time are, are guys like this. Could you give a big welcome to George Verver joining us this morning from London, England? Thanks, God. Wow, thank you. What a privilege to be with you. My heart is so full. And in one sense, I can't grasp that because I've been doing this now for almost 60 years, 20,000-some meetings, about 100 different countries. Part of me is really fed up with the whole thing. (laughs) Forgive me. Valentine's Day, I want to be with my Valentine. My wife and I are closer than ever. She's in London, England, where we live. What am I doing here in Houston? But uh, God put me here. You know, many of the bigger churches, they will not allow missionary speakers. And so I am blacklisted from many churches. I even wrote one of the famous churches and asked for five minutes. And, of course, I've never heard from him. So, Jeff, thanks for opening the door, going against the tide here, strong anti-missionary tide that's flowing through some places in America. People are... Thank you. People are, people put us in a box. And I told somebody recently who was trying to get me into their church, I said, forget the missionary thing. Uh, Book me as a comedian. A lot of humor in my meetings. I don't even plan it. You know, people just look at me and it seems a little strange, especially my jacket. This is nothing next to my global underwear, but... uh, (laughs) I was at a big Christian rock festival in Chicago. I'll never forget it. Res Band. I was one of the first leaders in missions to believe strongly in contemporary music. Got criticized for that as well. So I thought, if they're Christian rock and rollers, 110 rock bands, that they'd be liberated. So in the, you know, around midnight, I did my verwer strip and showed them my global underwear. Even these rock and rollers were offended by this move. Needless to say, my wife was not overjoyed either, and they, they sort of disappeared. So not today, folks. I've got a dream. I've got a dream for Houston, one of my favorite cities. I've been here many times. It's from the book of Acts, chapter 13. Five men were waiting on God, and the Holy Spirit said, separate Paul and Barnabas, and the church and the Holy Spirit sent them into ministry. I go to a place called Singapore almost every year where our ship is based. And I had this dream for Singapore 50, well, 44 years ago that Singapore would be an Antioch. Acts 13 is about the Antioch church. It was a young church. It was a struggling church. And yet they sent two of their very best men out uh, as missionaries. Amazing story because later they had a bust up. And Paul and Barnabas uh, struggled, and they went their separate ways. But I have a dream for Houston that this city would be in Antioch. It's already on the way, and your church is one of the pace-setting churches in the whole city with that balance of impact locally, reaching out globally, and this cutting-edge program you have to get people into short-term missions. That's what changed my life. Somehow I went to Mexico when I was only 19, even though it meant driving all the way all the way from New Jersey to Mexico. Ustedes ya están casi en Mexico, aquí in Houston. You're already almost in Mexico here. And uh, I wonder if there's anybody here, be honest, you've not been to Mexico. Raise your hand. 
You've not been to Mexico. Raise your hand. Wow. Let's just have a prayer for these people. Lord, <laughs> maybe these people, uh, maybe they only just came to Jesus last Sunday and haven't been able to get to Mexico yet. But we thank you for Mexico. We thank you for so many missionaries like me. We got our start in Mexico. Y Señor, te damos gracias por el poder de tu Espíritu Santo, la realidad que tú estás haciendo en todo México en estos días. En el nombre de Jesús. Amen. By the way, everybody in Houston also ought to learn Spanish. It's an easy, easy language, even a linguistic idiot like me uh, learned Spanish even when I was only 19. I have a dream for Houston that this will be in Antioch. And we will see not hundreds, but thousands of missionaries going out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because despite all that's being done, I could talk for hours of what God is doing. This is the greatest period in the history of missions. There's nothing even like it. This is the greatest period of light. We think of light and darkness. And 100 years ago, a vast section of the world was all darkness. There were bright spots, especially here in America. And, of course, Britain, where I live, and other countries. But now... The light is global. At the same time, somehow, because the, it's a huge, complex world with massive population explosion, there are nations that sort of got left out. Satan is resisting global missions every step of the way. Read Ephesians chapter 10, uh, no, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20, and you'll get a better picture of what we're up against we have a thousand workers in OM working among Muslims. Can you even imagine what we're up against? And how sad that we can't even get into churches to talk about the challenge of the Muslim world. How sad that so many Americans, uh, when you talk about Muslims and you talk about these nations, generally they spew out some kind of negative thing. May God set us free from hate language. May God set us free from prejudice and may realize we are called to a revolution of love. One of my books that you can pick up free that don't sell well, we give them away, uh, called Revolution of Love, has changed the lives of many of us. If we realize 1 Corinthians 13, whatever other conviction we have, whatever other thing we're excited about, and a lot of that can be good. If we don't have love, we don't have anything. I have a dream for Houston that thousands of workers would be sent out. But I have a dream for Houston that God's people will be different, different than the average city in America today, where we don't care very much about our neighbors, where we have the opportunity to pick up these fantastic multi-language Jesus DVDs, one of the greatest tools in the history of the church. People don't even pick them up. Praise God that changed here in the first service. As people picked up these samples which is one of the greatest tools for reaching these people that have come to Houston or New York City, where I came to Jesus so many years ago, where there's now 800 languages being spoken. Houston might be a little far behind, but not much. Please consider becoming active in outreach here. Thanks for standing with two of our outstanding OM people, Josh and Debbie Walker. His dad is one of the most out-of-the-box amazing persons I've ever met. He still actually scares me, but God is using him, and somehow he's passed this legacy on to Josh, who seems a little more sane than his father, and God is using him in a tremendous way in outreach right here. And we can do both. The Holy Spirit leads different people in different ways. He led me to leave the United States 55 years ago, I've never even got my first furlough. But he led some of my friends to stay here. Some of them actually became very wealthy. And they're the people uh, that have supported me all these years. They weren't necessarily wealthy when they started, but they started supporting in a small way. And God grew their business because business is part of the kingdom. I have a dream for Houston, but it includes you. Every person is, individual, is, is, is important in God's kingdom. God wants to use you. I think of a little boy in the Netherlands. His name was Dirk. About eight years of age, he writes the OM ship office. We have these ocean-going ships. We, only, we usually have two. We only have one now. It's much bigger, uh, about a little bit longer than your auditorium. 400 people live on that ship. The ship ministry has given the gospel, I'm not exaggerating, to 100 million people. Forty-some million 
have been up the gangway. Please meet Paul, the son of our chief engineer, who's my year-long helper and gopher and assistant. He's running the book table. He's the first person, 60 men have had this job, the first one who's reared on the ship, is reared on the ship as a little boy. He's born in Brazil. People say, why were you born in Brazil? That's where the ship was. If you're living on the ship, <laughs> you don't have much choice, especially when you're zero years of age. I have a dream for Houston, but I know God has a dream for you. You are important. And I believe this morning, I'm known as a U-turn preacher. I only often get in a place once. Don't easily get invited back. People say, I'm a U-turn preacher. What does that mean? You're going this way this morning. You're pretty happy. You got a nice job. And God somehow is going to hit you. You're going to do a U-turn, and you're going to do something different in your future. Maybe not immediately. Because we need to bloom where we are. We need to be real. And so I'm going to give an invitation at the end of this short message for people to make a U-turn. It's not going to be as tough as it sounds. And it's based on some verses we're going to look at in a few minutes. We brought these books with us. The first congregation was so proactive. And 80% uh, of the books are gone. So I apologize and we can always send you some more books. So we have to limit the free books to, say, one or two books each. The other books are any donation, uh, even 99 cents. We don't want that dollar shop to beat us. We're into 99 cents, 98 cents. You can leave even 50 cents. My book, Out of the Comfort Zone, please take it. It doesn't sell anyway, and we want the copies to go out. Managing God's Money, a brilliant book by Randy Alcorn, one of my favorite authors. One of the most significant DVDs you could ever watch, the story of a quarter of a billion people in India who are considered untouchables. India's untouchables. This brilliant book, so relative, so relevant now about Dr. Luther King and about how the church, it was the church, and people are trying to rewrite history so that this is being left out, but it's the church that pioneered the way to bring integration to our nation. And this film, uh, which we give free, uh, not exactly the blockbuster of Selma that's in the cinema now, but it's still a great film. We shall not be moved. My own book, Drops from the Leaking Tap, is my latest book. You can read even one chapter. And, uh, you know, some of these books, you don't have to read the book. You just look at the cover and God will stir you. I got this book that really ministered to me, Failure, the Back Door to Success by Erwin Lutzer. Have you heard of that? I recommend it. I've never read it. Just the cover was so encouraging to me because I've had so much failure uh, in my life. So there's my book, Revolution of Love. No turning back. And if a character like me can be born again March 3rd, 1955, I'm about to celebrate 60 years in Jesus, can have never a day when I turn back. I turn back for some hours when I sin, when I fail. But we immediately repent. And soon we're back in the action. Repentance is the key to revival. We're going to look at that in a moment. So I'd love to see some of those go out. Roy Hessian's classic, this brilliant book about pro-life. Please help us distribute this. We'll be happy to send you thousands of copies. I worked with Randy Alcorn. Even people who believe in abortion. And I live in London, the heartland of abortion. And I'm sure you know in China right now, abortion is considered just completely normal birth control. And just millions and millions of beautiful Chinese children are never born. We need to be more informed about this, even if we may be a little confused about exactly how it all works out. Pick up Why Pro-Life. That's another one of the free books. But turn with me now in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. To be honest, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole of the Bible that reminds me of what Jesus did in my life almost 60 years ago. We see in chapter 9 of Matthew, verse 35, Jesus going through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel and the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. And one of the key words I want to leave with you this morning is the word action. The Lord is calling us to action. We have churches now that sometimes spend 45 minutes singing 
and what they call worshiping. I love it. I go to those churches. And when you meet people individually, you find that they're not in the action. They're not sharing their faith. They're not carrying any load in trying to help the church go forward. They're hardly giving any of their money. They mainly sing and enjoy the music and the worship. Now, God is merciful. He's working in those places. I'm very slow, very slow to criticize. But I believe there's a better way. Action, sharing our faith, getting involved in the prayer life. One of the most beautiful things in this church is your emphasis on prayer. You know, as soon as I come in the door, I can barely get to the toilet. They whisk me into a prayer meeting. And thanks uh, God, I got to the toilet later. You know, when you're my age, you got a lot more res regular visitation. <laughs> so I love this picture of the Lord Jesus out in the villages, the sweat and the heat of the day, sharing the gospel. We can do the same thing. I started in my hometown. I started going door to door selling Bibles and Christian books and sharing my faith when I was only 18 years of age as a baby Christian. It was only after doing that in different parts of New York City and other parts of the country, then God sent me to Mexico. Those of us who love Jesus and we want to share our faith, we need to start where we are. As soon as we walk out this door, and I'll say something that doesn't need to be said. But many churches, can you imagine this is a contradiction? Many churches in America are unfriendly places. It has been proven. People go in and out of church. It's worse in Britain where I live. People go in and out of church as a stranger and nobody says hello. We have our little cliques. We have our special people that we like. And of course, it's a problem because we do like people. We do like to be with our friends, but we have to take that extra step. We have to go against the tide to reach out to the strangers in our midst. They only may come once and we'll never see them again. We need to stop thinking mainly about ourselves, even when we finish the service in the morning and be sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a man of action. But then we get this sudden change where it talks about the harvest. And Jesus saying the harvest is plenteous, the workers are few. And then he gives this command. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth workers into the harvest. You know that verse? I'm sure you do. The similar one in the Gospel of Luke. Let me tell you my story. Because I'm here because of a woman who believed the word of God. I'm here because of a woman of prayer. And my dream for Antioch is that this, and, and for Houston to be in Antioch, is that there'd be a great army of people, men and women who pray, who gather in missionary prayer meetings, home prayer meetings, church prayer meetings, picking up fantastic books, probably the greatest book in the entire history of the Christian church, giving prayer requests. You pray through it in the course of a year on every nation in the world. I've been through this book, but I have to say this book has been through me and helped change my life and enabled me to have a prayer ministry for almost every nation in the world. I was led after 46 years, my own choice, to step out of the leadership of OM and to give it to a younger man. I was staying with him last weekend. We don't see each other much. He lives in the north, Peter Maiden. And I tell you, OM was led better under Peter Maiden than it was under me. He has just turned it over to Lawrence Tong, a Chinese brother who graduated from Biola, picked up an American wife on the way, and so you can imagine he's got perfectly balanced kids, Josh and Ben studying at New York University. This is the world we live in. OM has been accused of pioneering international marriage, but we got a long way to go yet. I've been thinking for years to link up an Eskimo with a pygmy from the Congo, and it's never happened yet. Somehow, I don't think a lot of people are very proactive about it. Over 1,000 people, mainly international marriages, have met in Operation Mobilization. I follow hundreds of these marriages, and it's just phenomenal how God works through international interracial marriage. It's a different day, and a lot of it is better than it used to be. This whole idea of some Americans, let's go back to the old days. What, slavery, huh? Slaughtering Indians, is that what you'd like to go back to? Or maybe you just like good old raw segregation. Nothing like the good old days. No, we need to move forward. There were negative things then. 
There are negative things now. It was a mess then. Our nation's always been a mess. It's a mess now. But this is a nation that God has blessed. This is a nation where God has prospered the church more than almost any nation in the world. And I'm praying in the light of this passage, the Lord of the harvest sent forth workers. I'm praying that this morning. We need workers, not in the same countries. It says the harvest is plenteous, the workers are few. That's 2,000 years ago. It's changed, you know. The workers aren't few in Madras, India. We've got thousands of workers and thousands of churches in Madras, India, now called Chennai. So, you know, we can always use it for more. I don't think we need more workers in Los Angeles where Christians are standing on top of each other's heads. I don't think we need many more workers in Manila. I don't think we need many more workers in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. The thousands and thousands of workers. Of course we want more. I'm here to talk about the forgotten places. I'm here to talk to you about Libya and Tunisia. I'm here to talk to you about Somalia and Afghanistan. I'm here to talk to you about Iraq, Turkmenistan, Tibet. I'm here to talk to you about nations where there's next to nothing. And very few churches even praying about it. Much less sending anyone. I beg of you to seek God's face. Maybe he wants you to be a career long-term missionary. I'm a fanatic believer in short-term. OM is one of the main groups together with YWAM that birthed short-term. But the kind of work we want to do in these nations I've just mentioned can't be done just with short-term. So would you pray? Lord of the harvest, send forth workers. That's what happened to me, you know. I was not headed for the mission field. I didn't even know Jesus. My grandfather from the Netherlands was a hardball atheist. My other grandfather, really interesting on my mother's side. Irish, Scottish, and English, huh? basically toxic. He was an alcoholic. My grandmother divorced him. And uh, already at 15 years of age, I believe I probably was headed toward a road of addiction, maybe even sexual addiction. But I was unbelievably happy. Never had an unhappy day in my childhood. I had good parents. They were seekers. I was Christian. I was dedicated like these little babies. That was wonderful. That's one of the best dedication of children's services I've ever seen. And I've been in lots of them. And I was dedicated. Back in that particular church, they called it christening. But still, do you think God was there? Do you think God saw this little baby? I was there, I don't really remember much what was going on. I think it was like one year of age. My parents were good people in, in, in a general way. They were seekers. And they got involved in a church, but it was a church that didn't preach the gospel. It was like a social club. My father became an elder and he didn't know Jesus. I became the president of the youth fellowship. My big interest was girls. This church was loaded with girls. Second big interest was dancing. I brought dancing into the church. And so I was fine. And then I was in the Boy Scouts. I was going to get the God and Country Award in the Boy Scouts. I've just done a video for the Boy Scout movement in New York City a couple days ago. But I was lost. Because salvation isn't by works. It's not by joining the Boy Scouts. It's not by doing good deeds. I was into all these kind of things. It all changed because of one woman. And if any of you are praying women or praying men, I honor you. I'd love to get a personal email from you that I could pray for you personally and affirm you in your ministry of prayer. This lady near my high school put my name on her Holy Ghost hit list. <laughs> By the way, if any of you are wanting to live your own selfish life, I hope nobody this morning, but, and I shouldn't give you this advice, but stay away from these kind of women. Don't sit next to them in church. Don't let them get to your name. She got my name. She not only prayed I'd become a Christian, she prayed I would become a missionary. What? She didn't even discuss this with me. I had other plans for my life. And then she put action, action. There's one of our buzzwords for this morning. She put action into her prayers and sent me a Gospel of John. Around the same time, Satan, I believe, through one of his lesser trained angels, wouldn't need any big shot to work on me, brought pornography into my life. When I first discovered that kind of literature, I just, it just blew me away. And I was, I probably, if Jesus had moved into my life, 
would end, would end up addicted. But instead, I'm reading the Gospel of John. Then Billy Graham comes to New York City. Most people forgot that meeting. It was not the famous crusade of years later. It's a one-night meeting. It was an anniversary event. And somehow a business person, a dairyman who became my close friend, gave me a seat on a bus in New York City. My life at that time was especially girls and romance. You know, in those days, we didn't jump in bed so quick. We just kicked, kissed up a storm, danced until midnight, and fell on the floor and went to sleep. About 32 different girls had blown my circuits before I was 17. So I got this gal I was crazy for, and I thought she maybe can use this hot religion that Billy Graham is selling. And we, Madison Square Garden, 25,000 people. I sat as far away as I could. Somebody said he's a hypnotist, so I brought my binoculars. I'm watching Billy Graham with my binoculars to see what tactics he's using. And I heard the glorious gospel of Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Billy Graham did something I'd never seen. He called people to, to come forward, to come forward and repent and believe on Jesus. I don't know how I ever got out of my seat and went forward in front of 20,000. And I began to cry as Jesus convicted me. And I broke and I repented and he saved me. That's what this is all about. That's the message we're carrying all over the world. And it's real and it's the truth of God. And it's clearly from this great book, God's Word. From that very moment, and I know Many people have different testimonies. Many people, after a few months or years, slip away from the Lord. I know that because I've had 150,000 at least of such people come forward in my meetings and come back to Jesus. OM was built on a revival movement. It was built on a movement of the Holy Spirit, causing people to repent and to get right with Jesus and then join OM and go short or long-term into missions. We have to connect the dots. We have to connect the deep work of the Holy Spirit with a work of sending workers into the harvest that we've read about in Acts 13. So God saved me and sent me back to that high school. Little did they know they just elected me as president of the student council. I had the privilege to speak to the entire high school about as many as are here now, a little bit less, and share my testimony. It's illegal today. And you share my testimony. And God began, because of the prayers of that woman, 15 or 20 years of prayer for that high school, he began saving people. They arranged a meeting when I came back Christmas from six months at college to share. Hundreds came to that meeting. I, I was stunned that these people came to hear my testimony. And I shared the gospel. 125 of my fellow students stood to believe on Jesus in that meeting in an ungodly drunken high school just outside New York City. So you can be sure I was so filled with faith that God could use the likes of me. I still had a lot of struggles. I, I didn't know there were so many rules when I gave my life to Jesus. And then I met a guy who said, hey, you can't go around kissing girls anymore. What? Billy Graham didn't say anything about that. And I needed a verse. You know, I needed a verse, thou shalt not kiss. I didn't find it, so I just kept kissing everything available. And I remember this one girl, I led her to Christ, and we were praising God, and then I kissed her for about an hour. And uh, what a mess I got in with all this romance. Some of them were talking about marriage. What? This is recreation. We're not thinking about marriage here. And God broke me, and I went on a two-year fast, and uh, no, it's a miracle in my life. As, I, as pornogra pornography got knocked out, I went on a two-year fast, no more kissing, no more dating. That's when God sent me to Mexico. That's when I learned Spanish. That's when I learned spiritual warfare. That's when I learned how to memorize hundreds of scriptures. That's when I learned how to mobilize people and engage in God's great program before I was 20 years of age. But then something happened. You know, there's always big steps, right? Because of all that, I left that college, and I went to Moody Bible Institute, a really strict, legalistic place in Chicago. This is like a whole new world. When I got there, there were so many beautiful girls. I was infatuated with about seven. I thought, they were all Christians. They're all born again. This is a safe place. Carry big Bibles. You probably try to kiss one. You get whacked with a King James Bible to the head. So I was really crying out to mercy, but I just somehow stuck to my commitment. Prayer, evangelism, worship, Jesus, 
sharing my faith, of course, study. And then I went, the day that changed my life, to Renat Moody Christian Evangelistic Film, the woman in charge of the films, it was too much. My romantic circuits blew. I broke my fast, moved in on the target, said something completely stupid, a little quiet girl from Iowa, never met any New York City loudmouths. And uh, for me, it was love at first sight. For her, it was fright at first sight. I managed to get on a date. It was such a wonderful thing, I thought it was from the devil. So I'll try to scare her away. I was a little confused on theology. And so... <laughs> I said, look, probably nothing going to happen between you and me, but you need to know I'm going to be missionary. And if you marry me, probably you will end up being eaten alive by cannibals in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> Needless to say, she was not in love with me at that point, but I mobilized my prayer. God broke her heart. She began to think that I, uh, she wanted to be a missionary, so that was a good thing because I, I was going to be a missionary. And then she began to think I was a man of God. She wanted to marry a man of God. Then she began to think I was a Bible teacher because I was teaching the group going to Mexico the Bible. And so I took advantage of that. I gave her that key verse. Not the whole chapter, that key verse from Ephesians 5. Submit to your husband as unto the Lord. <laughs> She's quite young, to be honest, naive, both of us were. She just took that on agreed to marry me. I had a lot of stipulations, like we're not spending money. I pressured her to sell everything she had. She had a lot of money. Her father was killed in the war. She, if she had given her money to Sam Walton, I was just at Walmart yesterday, uh, she'd be a millionaires. She gave it to George Verwer, who sent it to Mexico, and, uh, well, she's walked by faith, and he's supplied. So we went to Mexico, no money, Honeymoons, don't believe in that. That costs money. Not going to live in an apartment. That costs money. We sleep on the floor in the back of the bookstore. And uh, I, did, I made a decision. We're not spending any money to get to Mexico, 2,000 miles from Chicago. We're trusting God for a miracle. But we had a few little tactics. I got half of the wedding cake. There were two wedding cakes. I got, we had a little reception, you know, bring your own food, and Dale preached at them. And so... I went to this gas station in Wheaton and offered them the cake for some gasoline. It blew his mind. He just gave me the gas. I kept the cake. The next morning, I went with the cake to another gas station. He was a believer. Just blew his mind. Gave me oil. Gave me gas. Keep the cake. Only the third station, the cake was getting pretty crumply by then. Uh, I got another tank, and we made it to Mexico. I did spend $1 on a cup of hot chocolate because she was freezing cold in this vehicle, and I was too cheap to fix the window. This is January. She's crying out there in the back of the vehicle wondering what she got into marrying this guy. And so I spent a dollar. I was already coming into grace and, and balance. And I told the Lord I want that dollar back. And this is the absolute truth. We had to sleep somewhere. So I called a pastor, cold turkey, from the phone book. I said, we're missionaries to Mexico. We'd like to stay in your house. He let me stay in the master bedroom. And the next morning he waved to us and gave me a dollar. I got my dollar back. So I didn't spend any more to get to Mexico. We just celebrated 55 years of this wild Holy Ghost roller coaster marriage. Whoa, the grace and the mercy of the living God. Why am I saying this? Because I'm not a natural missionary. I'm a natural bungler. How many of you ever heard of my close friend, Brother Andrew, God smuggler? Raise your hand. I'm Brother George, God's bungler. Yeah, I tried the same thing. Russia, here I come. I'd learned some Russian. I could type in Cyrillic. I got this literature smuggled through the border in Russia. And then to the pure stupidity on my part, I was arrested by the KGB, accused of being a spy. Front page headline, American spy arrested in Ukraine. Looked like an all-expenses-paid vacation in Siberia. Was a real, real stupid mistake. Because of that, and our work before that was called Send the Light. It was very narrow. Muslims, communists, and closed countries. We didn't know how that was going to happen. We were just going too fast. But through that failure, I went for a time of prayer, a day of prayer. In the day of prayer, God gave me the name Operation Mobilization. He gave me the vision, mobilize the European church. There are churches in Germany, churches in England. They've all just been killing each other. We had a mobilization of hatred 
in that horrendous war. And I said to God, can there not be a mobilization of love? The first time the word was ever used in a non-military context. And that is what led to the birth of this movement. And 200,000 have served with OM since those days. About 25,000 of them in leadership in the body of Christ today. One woman prayed. Prayed. One unlikely missionary somehow kept going because of grace, because of forgiveness, because God can use all kinds of people. In closing, we're going to look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And we're getting, getting to a very serious part of this message as we're getting to the place where we're going to call people to make a decision. And that's very much linked with this amazing passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter 6. I know many of you have heard this passage preached, but some of you might be new. In any case, the Holy Spirit can bring it afresh to our mind. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and lifted, exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were, they were calling to one another. Look at this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the whole earth was full of his glory. At the sound of the voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. The temple was filled with smoke. And here we see this great response on the part of the prophet. When we get this greater view of God, and my passion from very early days is to be God-centered, to be God-centered. One of my favorite books, Piper's Desiring God, the supremacy of God in global missions. And that's why I love this passage and praying that the Holy Spirit will use it in your own heart this morning. We worship God this morning. We've praised him. We've sent something of his, his glory, his omniscience. Probably we hopefully have sensed something of his holiness. What is the response we should have when God speaks to us? And God wants a response from us this morning. Look at the response of Isaiah. Quite interesting. Woe to me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. But mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Have you ever responded that way? I am here because I responded to that many times. I failed a number of times after I became a Christian, a number of times in the pornography thing. And I had to just cry to God, what was me? I'm a man of unclean lips. Even as a Christian leader once, I fell because a pornographic magazine, an expensive one, was hanging in a tree in London. You know, when we sin in other areas, impatience, irritability, and Seven Deadly Sins by Billy Graham is one of my favorite books. It just broke me into pieces. I give it out free all over the world. I think I'm out of copies. It's not even printed in this country. It's too hard a book. We have them printed in India, and we bring them in and distribute them. That book was so powerful in showing some of the sin in my life. I can remember almost the day and the place in London where I first read it. And so I know a lot about this kind of praying. And I'm only here a broken vessel because Jesus forgives sin. O.M. was known for radical discipleship, similar to the book by David Platt, Radical. That's the message we had in the 60s. But let me tell you as an older person, radical discipleship without radical grace is a dead-end street. And when we decide to make some radical move about this or that, we need discernment. We need wisdom. We need to know where we are. What are the implications of our decision? Like here's a guy that reads radical and he goes back. He's going to downsize. He's going to simple lifestyle. He's going to send more money missions and goes back and tells his wife. She hadn't read the book. She's got six kids or two kids that are almost driving her out of her mind plus an irritating husband. And he comes in and announces his new strategy. Ah, one more broken marriage among evangelicals. And I'm not down on divorced people. We're the first mission agency in the world to recruit divorced people. I could write six books on what I've seen divorced, even divorced remarried people do in the kingdom of God and in global missions. You say, oh, excuse me, that doesn't fit into our box. That's what they say in England. 
God is not into boxes. He forgives people. A lot of my friends are really first-cast failures. Some of them I visit in prison, including a guy guilty of pedophilia, which we so look down upon in our society. But God can even forgive those people. You talk about plan A. Most of us miss plan A. Oh, praise God for plan B. A lot of my friends aren't on plan B. They're on plan H. They're on plan J. They've messed up their lives big time. You know what I say to those people, even preaching in prison? Praise God for a big alphabet. Press on in the grace that you find in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm here. I'm not here as some great missionary leader. I'm here a broken vessel who again and again prayed this prayer. Woe is me. Forgive me. And every single time God has forgiven me, I had struggle loving and accepting myself. I remember as a little kid, I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to be stronger. I saw this ad, you can be a real man, right in today. Charles Atlas, muscle building, weight gaining. I immediately wrote in. I got this material. I was lifting weights and eating more food. I, you know, I gained about half a pound. I realized through this book, that God loved me even when I failed with my temper, with my irritability, even when I hurt. I abused my own wife, yes, with my tongue. But God's forgiven me. It's radical grace. And when we know that radical grace, we're ready to take steps of faith. All of you should try to get into this short-term thing your church has. The Lord can close the door. Maybe the money won't come, but at least give it a try. It's better to try and fail than not try at all. Somehow praying out of the box, thinking out of the box, taking steps of faith is what the Bible is about from Genesis to Revelation. Look what happens after he prays this prayer. This next verse looks like something out of the book of Romans. But we're still in Isaiah. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. When he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. This is the middle of the Old Testament. I'll let your brilliant pastor expound this in more detail. But I know this is the message of radical grace beginning to come through, which, of course, exploded when Jesus Christ died upon the cross to save us. We are God's children. You are God's child. You are forgiven. And he wants to use you. And if he can use a guy like me, I've only shared half of my problems. A bigger problem is that I really thought I should become an atheist. That's always nice. No, God doesn't exist. You say, haven't you read the verse? The fool says in his heart there is no God. You're looking at a person who's been a fool so many times. So somehow that isn't too relevant. Yes, I'm a doubting Thomas. Some of those passages in the Old Testament have tormented me all my life. But I believe the evidence that this is God's word is greater than any arguments against it. And there are some pretty slick arguments. I stand on the word of God. That's why I'm still praying, Lord of the harvest, send forth workers into the harvest. That's why I'm dreaming that Houston can be an Antioch and your church can be one of the pace-setting churches Churches in sending laborers into the harvest field. Notice, after this experience of brokenness and repentance, try to get a copy of Calvary Road that touches on that. Then there's this forgiveness, there's this renewal, and then we have perhaps the most missionary prayer in the whole of the Old Testament. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, the next verse, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isn't that a great prayer? There's hymns based on that prayer. There's poems based on that prayer. That is my favorite prayer in the Old Testament, perhaps next to Psalm 51 and other similar passages. How many of you have already prayed that prayer? It's pretty basic. Search your heart, search your mind. How many have already prayed that simple prayer? Lord, here am I, send me. Raise your hand, raise your hand. Wow, this is a great church, Jeff. About 20% have already prayed that. Guess what, the rest of you? This is your morning. You didn't know that when you woke up, huh? You know, when I wake up, 
I've got often this tremendous passion, just grips me. Go back to sleep. But I'm sure all of you are more spiritual with me, more spiritual than me. You're just, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Do you know that song? Well, it's not actually been my experience. I get some really bad days. My wife and I have had our hearts ripped out by things that went wrong in our family. With our kids, we don't know yet about the grandkids. Praise God for grandkids. God gives you a second chance. Tony Campalo says, grandchildren, that's God's prize to you for not killing off your own kids. <laughs> so this closing moment, I'm going to give this invitation. Listen carefully for you to pray this prayer. Not firstly connected with missions. The Holy Spirit has to do that through the church and as you wait upon him. I'm asking you to pray this prayer. It's very simple, very basic, even for a baby Christian. I'm asking you to simply say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I'm available. I might be scared. I feel my limitations. I'm vulnerable, but I'm available. Here am I, send you, is a prayer of availability. I was speaking to a thousand Koreans in Sydney before this, in the, whole, the whole time I was on that passage. In the beginning, I said, how many of you have already prayed the prayer? Hardly a single hand went up among a thousand Koreans. At the end, when I gave the invitation that I'm going to do right now, almost every single Korean stood up. No wonder the Koreans are the second largest mission force in the world with 10,000 missionaries. It's very linked with those words in Romans 12, 1. Powerful, that if God has used in my life so powerfully, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your body as a living sacrifice. So what I'm talking about right now is not firstly geography. It's reality. You're available, and you're ready to be sent. And I believe often, many of you, God will send you across the street. We're not called to just evangelize the world as big as impossible, that seems. We're called to build the kingdom everywhere. And the kingdom is being built in Houston. And you're part of it. And your job should be part of it. A man who heard this message and realized the importance of his own work, connecting it with the kingdom, his work took on a completely different aspect on, on Monday, and he was happy in his work for the first time in his life. Your work matters to God. There's no second-class citizens on God's Holy Ghost train. It's not missionaries first class, pastors first class. Oh, business people. Oh, yeah, they got a second class. If it wasn't for godly Christian business people in this nation, one-third of all mission work would have never taken place, and we certainly wouldn't have that ship with 400 people sailing around the world. Brothers and sisters, everybody can pray this prayer. Here am I. Send me. You're available. It might be a big U-turn for some. For many, it might be only a small step. The word is clear. Be not hearers of the word. Be doers. Let's pray. Father, help us. Let's take a moment for silent prayer. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to make the right decision. Search your own heart. Is there something you should repent of. Have you really received grace? Total grace, forgiveness for any sin, even a horrible thing you did years ago that's still bothering you. It's under the blood. Let it go. Some wrong attitude, some unforgiveness toward anybody, anywhere. Let it go. Failing to forgive yourself. Let it go. Cast yourself upon him. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lives. And receive is forgiveness. And if you've done that, then I, I know you can pray this prayer by faith, in weakness, in vulnerability. Here am I. Send me. If you'll pray that prayer in sincerity, I'm not going to call you forward, but I'm going to ask you to stand up that I can pray as I've done in churches all over the world, that I can pray a prayer of consecration for you. And so if you'll pray that simple prayer, here am I. Send me. I want you to stand up across this great auditorium and I want to pray for you. 
God bless you. God bless you. God knows everything about you and loves you still. This is a love step. This is a grace step. God bless you. Anyone else? Father, you see each person standing before you right now. You know everything about them, and your love is so great. Probably most of them already know you, but they're taking this step of faith to be more available, to be more committed, to be willing to be part of your Holy Ghost sending force, sending forth from this great place, Houston, that's becoming an Antioch for your glory. Fill us all afresh with the Holy Spirit. Lord, as it was in Acts 4.31, when they prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and went forth and spoke the word of God with boldness. And Lord, we pray, we pray that somehow the nations, the nations of the world will feel the impact of this step of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Can everyone stand? I want to pray for everyone, please. Lord, I thank you for everybody here this morning. And God, Jeff, as he brings us into this breaking of bread and communion together, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, George. Just keep standing, if you would. Because we believe in radical grace, we celebrate communion. And every time we do that, we take that little bread and we remember that the Son of the living God, Jesus, took our sins upon a cross and paid for them. Every time we take that little cup of juice, we remember that the shed blood of Jesus washes away all of our sin and we rejoice and celebrate in the grace of God. And that's why we say to him, here am I, send me. If we can get prayer partners around the room, they're available to pray over anything in your life. Don't forget, uh, men, on the way out, if you haven't signed up for the men's advance, just be part of that. God's going to do a great thing there. Um, if you're new here, just go to one of the communion trays around the room. Take the elements either back to your seat or come and kneel at the front or stand aside, let others get in, and let's worship Jesus for his great love and grace for you. Lord, we bless you. We worship you. We celebrate the grace of God in our lives. In Christ's name. Come and worship, church. Come and worship.